will um, listen to the scripture reading this morning. Carl is continuing his series of sermons on the book of Leviticus. And this morning we look at a, uh, at a summit of this, uh, this whole, whole book, and that is the Day of Atonement. And I think it's an important chapter, and there's great gospel news there to hear for us. Leviticus chapter 16. I'll start a reading at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He has tied a linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in a tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself his household and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that's before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it, all on, put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, 
he shall bring forward the life goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the life goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in a holy place and put on his regular garments, and then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh and offal are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It's Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It's a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Carl, up to you to say a bit more about all this. Well, can I just say, uh, in beginning, I discovered this week why no one preaches on Leviticus. Uh, And maybe I've been discovering it for a few weeks now uh, because I think I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. Uh, This chapter, I think this chapter is amazingly complicated uh, and how all these things fit together is is amazingly difficult. Uh, But I think there's there's still lots of things that we can say about it and there's lots of truths that we can come to understand about it. Uh, And I think at the end of the day that we have to believe, don't we, that God's words are powerful words because God is powerful. Uh, And that's why we study the scriptures, because God's words are powerful words. Well, uh, Fred said this is uh, one of the most important uh, chapters in Leviticus, and that's true. Uh, It's really the climax, I think, of everything that we've come up against so far. We we had, remember, in the first seven chapters of Leviticus, uh, we had the five different sacrifices, and we looked at those. Uh, Then we had the ordination of the priests, uh, and the death of Nadab and Abihu uh, tied in with that. And then we had the five or, or six chapters to do with cleansing uh, and uncleanness. And now we come up against the Day of Atonement, which is really the last big chapter on, on any of the sacrifices and any of the cleansing ceremonies. 
And the Day of Atonement was, well, it was the day. It was the big day of the sort of the uh, the calendar of Israel. Uh, in fact, even for Jewish people today, the Day of Atonement is is the day, uh, or it's called Yom Kippur, and it's the day. It's a bit like Christmas for uh, for nominal Christians. Uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the day when uh, nominal Jews head to the synagogue uh, because it's the main calendar event. It was the day because it was the only day of the year when the priest, the high priest, was uh, able to go up uh, into the most holy place. For those of you who don't know, uh, the, uh, the tabernacle was divided uh, into two sections. So the, the tabernacle was the place where the priests served God and where all the sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament. Uh, and the tabernacle was divided into two sections. Uh, there was the holy place and the most holy place. And every day of the year, the priests would go into the first section, into the holy place, and they'd offer the sacrifices that the people needed to bring for their sins. But once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, and the high priest alone, was able to go into that second section, into the most holy place. The reason that no one could go in more regularly than that is explained in verse 2. God says, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark. Why? Or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Aaron can't go in, the high priest can't go in whenever he wants because God is there and meeting with God is a a dangerous proposition for sinful people. Verse 1 looks back to the death of Nadab and Abihu who were killed in chapter 10. Uh, Look at verse 1. that The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. Remember, uh, if you were here, what happened in chapter 10? Nadab and Abihu, they were priests, they were sons of Aaron. They've done all these sacrifices. The glory of the Lord had appeared to the people and Nadab and Abihu thought, I know what we'll do, we'll offer God some worship. Uh, and so they, uh, they, they brought these bowls of fire and God said, no, I didn't tell you to do that. That wasn't how I wanted you to worship me. And they were, they were burned up, weren't they? Fire came out from the glory of God and they were destroyed. We've seen, haven't we, I think, as we've gone through Leviticus, that approaching God is a dangerous proposition for sinful people. And yet on this one day of the year, the high priest was allowed to go, not just into that first section of the, of the tabernacle, but he was allowed to go beyond that into the most holy place to appear before God. So it was a special day. It was a special day for Israel, it was a special day for the high priest, but although there was this access, it was still kind of fraught with danger. The long ritual that the high priest needed to go through begins in verse 3, Uh, it says that first he needed to put on different clothes. It says he needed to put on sacred clothes. So he takes off his own clothes, which he wore on the way into the temple, and then he puts on this sacred tunic and a sash and a turban. Uh, And these clothes are special clothes because they're kept in the temple. Uh, So uh, in verse 23, uh, later on, it says, after the ceremony is over... Uh, then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place and he is to leave them there. So there's these clothes that are specifically kept away from sinful people and they're kept 
in the temple. He has to wear clothes that haven't come into contact with sin. Because he himself is dirty as well, he needs to wash. Verse 4 says these are sacred garments, so he must wash himself with water before he puts them on. There can't be any hint of dirt coming into God's presence. And we've seen, haven't we, time and time again, that dirt is a picture of the impurity of sin. No sin can come into God's presence, not even a hint of it. The priest, this high priest, must be perfect. Next, Aaron has to offer a bull for a sin offering for his own sin. Before he he can appear before God, he needs to deal with the sins that he's committed against God because God is angry with him because of what he's done. So Aaron slaughters the bull outside the most holy, holy place but he needs to take this blood into the, into the most holy place to atone for his own sin. But before he can do that, he has to get this uh, bowl uh, of coals and he has to burn incense to sort of create this smoke screen uh, in front of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and uh, in front of the atonement cover. He has to create this smoke screen so that when he goes into the most holy place, there will be still some kind of barrier between him and God. Finally, Aaron sprinkles the blood of atonement on the atonement cover and atones for his own sin. Finally, he gets to go into the most holy place. But even though he gets there, he still doesn't get to see God, does he, right? This is the most important day of the year, the most exciting day in all of Israel's calendar. The high priest gets to approach God and yet there's still this smokescreen, there's still this danger, there's still uh, all this trepidation as he's going forward. This is the guy who is supposed to be representing all of the people, all of the sinful people before God. And he has to go through this long and complicated ritual And even when he gets there, he can't actually appear before God. Having a sinner like the high priest intercede on behalf of sinful people is kind of like getting Hitler to broker a peace deal on behalf of Mussolini. It doesn't work. No one's going to listen to him. No, the, the Day of Atonement was a reminder that we need someone better than one of these high priests to represent us before God. We need a perfect high priest. It's no small thing, I think, for us to know that in Jesus Christ there is a man who is perfect and blameless, sinless, who can approach God with confidence. No one else, no one else in all the world can stand before God with that same confidence that Jesus can have because Jesus alone is perfect and free from the stain of sin. Hebrews 7 calls Jesus a high priest who meets our need. Why does he meet our need? Because he's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the highest heavens. The first thing that the Day of Atonement reminded people was that we need a priest who can stand before God with confidence because he's perfect. I guess that leads to a kind of second question about the Day of Atonement and that is, well, what is it that the high priest was trying to do on the Day of Atonement? I mean, this whole ceremony about him getting into the most holy place was, 
was really just the first part. It's kind of just the preliminary stage. What was he hoping to do once he got there? Interestingly enough, the Day of Atonement is as much about the tabernacle as it is about the people. There are quite a number of times in this chapter, I don't know if you picked it up as we read through, there are quite a number of times where God talks about atoning for the tabernacle and the stuff in the tabernacle. In verse 15, the high priest takes the goat, the one for the Lord. Uh, So there's these two goats on the Day of Atonement and and the high priest takes the first one and he sacrifices it to make atonement. Uh, Look at verse 15. It says, He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering uh, for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. Now literally it says... uh, he will make atonement on behalf of the people, right? So he's making atonement with the blood sprinkled on the atonement cover. He's making atonement on behalf of the people, but for what? Well, verse 16 is where it kind of gets a bit strange. Verse 16 says, In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. So he's making atonement on behalf of the people for the most holy place. Then in verse 16, he's to do the same for the tent of meeting, so the, uh, the kind of the first section. Uh, he's to do the same for the tent of meeting which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Verse 18, Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. So he's making atonement uh, for all these objects in the temple, for the most holy place, for the holy place and for the altar. What's going on? Once he's finished that, he brings forward the second goat. The first goat's been killed. Its blood has been sprinkled on uh, on the various objects in the temple. And then he brings forward the second goat, which is still alive, In verse 20 it says, When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place and the man shall release it in the desert. What's going on? What is the Day of Atonement all about? Why are they atoning for these objects and why are they putting hands on the head of a goat and sending it out into the desert? At its very core, I think, the Day of Atonement is about this. It's about bundling up all the sin of the people which they have, through which they've defiled and desecrated the house of God. It's about gathering all that up together, dealing with it through blood, putting those things on the head of the goat and taking them as far away from God and his house and his people as is possible. It's kind of like taking out the rubbish. It's about kind of gathering up all the sin and putting it on the head of the goat and sending it as far away Uh, out into the desert. It's a picture, if you like, of removing all the wicked things that the people have done uh, in the presence of God. 
So God, the tabernacle was a kind of a picture of God living among the people and, and as people kind of sinned in their everyday life, they, they, they defiled God's presence among them. And the Day of Atonement is trying to deal with that. The problem comes to light at the end of uh, chapter 15 and verse 31 where it says, You must keep the Israelites separate from the things that make them unclean. Why? So they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place which is among them. Right? So being unclean, being sinful in the presence of God means that they risk death because they're defiling God's house. The, uh, the palace of Versailles uh, in the 18th century was famous for people going to the toilet uh, in the middle of, well, just anywhere really. People would go to the toilet on the staircases, uh, in the hallway. Apparently there were 300 toilets and kind of privies and all kinds of things like that or necessary chairs as they were called in England in those days. But but people would just go to the toilet in the middle of nowhere to the extent that in, uh, in 1715 they, de- they issued an edict saying, uh, you know, kind of assuring people that, uh, that uh, faeces around the hall of the, uh, of the palace would be cleaned up at least once a week. It's disgusting, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, it's horrid. But in a way, it's a picture of what was going on with the people of God and the house of God. They were just doing whatever they wanted in the halls and in the passageways and on the staircase and in the ballroom and in the dining room. Their sin was defiling the palace of God and God hated it. And they risked death because of it. The Day of Atonement is really about how can a holy God keep living with wicked people? They were trashing his house day after day. How can it go on for another year? The sin of the people defiled the house and they should have died, but once a year, every year, the high priest would put on his clothes, he'd wash himself, he'd take the two goats, he'd go into the most holy place and he'd make atonement for the people because of what they'd done to the house of God. It was like making a new beginning every year. But you know what, the problem is bigger than that, isn't it? The problem with the world is bigger than just a tent or a temple sitting on top of a hill in Jerusalem somewhere in the Middle East. Our sin doesn't just defile a a building like that, does it? Our sin has defiled the whole world, a world which God has made. Isaiah says, in Isaiah God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. This is God's world. And though we can't see God, this is still his world. And we're going around, going to the toilet in all kinds of strange places, 
smashing windows, ripping up the carpet. And the Day of Atonement reminded people that something needs to be done for a holy God to live with unholy people. So the Day of Atonement reminded people that that they need a better priest who can have confidence before God and it reminded them that something definitive needs to be done in order for God to keep living with sinful people. I guess the last question is, well, how did the Day of Atonement hope to deal with that? What what was the unique kind of thing about the Day of Atonement that that offered any kind of promise of, of dealing with this fundamental problem? Why was it different from any of the other sacrifices? Well, I think the answer to that question lies in the uniqueness regarding where atonement is made. Every other day of the year, atonement was made on the altar of burnt offering, which was in that first section of the tabernacle, but on this day of the year, atonement was made somewhere else. It was made upon the atonement cover in the most holy place and the atonement cover was on top of the ark within which sat the testimony. Look at verse 13. Talking about the incense uh, that Aaron has to produce. The incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. The one particular advantage that the Day of Atonement had over every other day of the year, over every sacrifice that the priests could offer, was that this one day of the year, the high priest had the opportunity to go into the most holy place to approach God and to approach and to make atonement on the atonement cover. Why is that important? It's important because under the atonement cover was, as, we said, as I said before, the testimony. Now the testimony was basically, it's just another word for the Ten Commandments. So there was the ark, it was a kind of a, a box of gold and in it were the Ten Commandments and on top of that was the atonement cover and on top of that we discovered earlier is the place where God said that he would appear. If you've got your Bible, it's kind of helpful to uh, go back to Exodus 24 and, uh, and read a few verses from there. I think that kind of helps us to come to grips a little bit with what the Day of Atonement was all about. So Exodus 24, and we'll just read a few verses beginning at verse 1. Then he said, then, then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. 
They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. There's a few important things to notice. The first thing to notice, interestingly enough, is that four of the same characters are mentioned as in Leviticus 16. There's Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, except here Nadab and Abihu are still alive, but in Leviticus 16 they've been killed. The second thing to notice uh, is what Moses did. Uh, He sprinkled the tablets of the Ten Commandments with blood and he sprinkled the people with blood. And Moses called it the blood of the covenant. What's going on? Well, the covenant was, uh, was a sworn agreement between two parties and what was important about it was that the covenant was secured on the basis of death. Right? So two parties are saying, look, we're going to do this, we're going to, we're going to uh, have this relationship with each other uh, and if it breaks down, if you, if you kind of break the covenant, then the result of that is that you're going to die. It was a, it was a blood oath. And that's where the blood comes in. The blood was a picture of the fact that death was the penalty, the result of breaking the covenant. So Moses sprinkled the people and he sprinkled the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant. He sprinkled them with blood to show, look, you said we will obey everything that God has commanded uh, and the result of not doing that is going to be death. The trouble was, of course, that they didn't obey everything that God had commanded them. Even while Moses was still up on the mountain sort of finishing things off, they were building a calf uh, to worship instead of worshipping God and that was really just the beginning of a whole litany of things and ways in which people disobeyed God. The history of Israel, from the very moment that that covenant with Moses and the people was instituted, the history of Israel was a history of a broken covenant deserving death a history of the Ten Commandments, rejected and God rebelled against. And it's within that context, right, within that sort of idea of the sprinkling of blood on the commandments and on the people, it's in that context that the priest enters into the most holy place and sprinkles the blood of a goat on the atonement cover which is over the testimony. That's where they could meet with God That's the only place that atonement could be made, the only place that something could be done about the broken covenant. The Day of Atonement harks back to the covenant that the people made with God under the threat of death and it offers the hope of something being done about that. But even the covenant with Moses in Exodus 24, harks back to something earlier. It harks back to another arrangement made over the threat of death. An arrangement with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You must not eat from that tree, else you will die. But they did, and the result was that them and us were cast out of the presence of God. And there's no way back unless God deals with the problem of death. And then in comes the priest with two goats. On that one special day of the year, the one day of the year where there was any hope of dealing with a broken covenant, 
He would take the blood of the first goat and he'd sprinkle it on the atonement cover which was over the testimony. He'd sprinkle it remembering that threat of death that they took on as the covenant was instituted. He would sprinkle the ark which held the tablets. He'd sprinkle the altar, another part of the covenant. And finally he'd take the second living goat and he'd put on the goat his hands and confess all the sins of Israel against God and he'd send it far away into the desert. As far as the east is from the west, so far would God remove their transgressions from them. Well, that was the hope at least, wasn't it, of the Day of Atonement? But it never brought that. God didn't make atonement with goats and bulls. He made atonement with people. And so only the death of a person could atone for a broken covenant with people. The Day of Atonement looked forward to a better reality I look forward to a better reality found in Jesus, not as a high priest dressed in a robe, fitted with a turban, but as the Son of Man dressed in humanity. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood did he enter the tabernacle. With his blood, the blood of God made flesh. Not into a temple sitting on a hill in Jerusalem, but into the highest heavens before the throne of God. Not as a goat to be led out into a lonely desert, but as the Messiah led out into the lake of the fiery wrath of God. Not for rebellion against two stone tablets, but for rebellion and hatred against God himself. And not so that year after year he could do the same thing again and again and again. Not so that year after year people would wonder, is, this time, is it going to work this time? No, he did it once and for all so that we might become the righteousness of God. Through his death, through his blood sprinkled before the throne of God in heaven, he put away that broken covenant. And therein lies the reason too that we don't do any of these things anymore. Why is it there's no more day of atonement? Why is it there's no more sacrifices? Why is it there's no more cleansing rituals? is because when Jesus sprinkled his own blood before the throne of God in heaven, he didn't just fulfil everything in this covenant. He put it to death. He put it aside. He ended the broken covenant. The writer of Hebrews says, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He puts to death the first covenant in order to establish the second. Jesus put away all our sin, all our defilement of his place, his world, in order to make open a way for us to know God. Here are some more words to end on from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from an evil consciousness 
and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope that the Day of Atonement held out for people in the days before Jesus came. Lord, thank you that you didn't uh, leave them to the death that they deserved, but that you pointed ahead to Christ. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us to the death that we deserve, but that you hold out the message of hope that if we believe in Jesus, that all our sins are taken away, that the death that we deserve is taken away. Lord, help us to trust in that. Lord, please forgive us for defiling your world, for sinning against you. Lord, please take all of that away in Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen.